You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So it's been 12 years ago now since Melissa and I moved to the Twin Cities, and it wasn't long after we moved here back in 2008 that we we kept hearing about Duluth. And I, I'd never heard of Duluth before. I'd never heard of it, never been to Duluth, but people kept telling us that uh, Duluth was this place that we just had to see because in the summers it was beautiful and the lake looked amazing and it just was a place like we just, we had to go, we needed to go to Duluth. And so because... Uh, we were um, much more spontaneous back then. This was this was seven children ago. We we decided one afternoon. We decided, hey, let's 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 go to Duluth. Let's check it out. And so we did. The problem was that it was August, and um, when we got to Duluth, we could not find a place to stay the night. Everything like in Duluth proper was booked up. And so we had to venture out a little bit and we were, were you know, we're looking for a place. And eventually we, we found this, um, we found this hotel in Superior, Wisconsin. Now, anybody in here from Superior, Wisconsin? All right, I just want to make sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's a, I should also mention that we were really cheap back then, okay? So this was not the greatest place to stay, all right? In fact, the, the hotel was, it was so sketchy that Melissa and I, we actually called our friends back in the cities, and we were like, hey, just so you know, if you don't hear from us tomorrow, we, we were staying in this hotel in Superior, Wisconsin. And uh, it was, the place was so old, that they, they didn't even have electronic clocks in the room, okay? So when we, we checked in at the front desk, they asked us if we wanted a wake-up call. And I was like, if you recommend it, you know? And they were like, what time? And I was like, whatever you, whatever you say. And we ended up landing at like 6.30 the next morning, and we got into our room that night, and by the time we laid down, I could hardly wait for that phone to ring, and I mean, when's the last time, some of you guys who travel, when, when's the last time you had a wake-up call at a hotel? Or maybe a better question is, when's the last time you even heard an old analog phone ring? You guys know what I'm talking about? Those, those, those bulky phones that have the cords attached to them? Some of you guys don't even know. <laughs> they, they, they have the most unpleasant sounds. There's, they just scream at you. And the older and heavier the phone, the harsher the sound. But guess what? It wakes you up. It works. It wakes you up just like the 10th commandment. Today in our series on the Ten Commandments, we're looking here at the final commandment, the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet, which is actually in a different category than all the other commandments we've seen. And what makes this commandment different is not that it's talking about different things. It's, it's talking about the same things we've already seen, but the Tenth Commandment talks about them in a different way. And this difference will completely reconfigure the way we think about sin and obedience. 
And that's going to mean for us this morning at least two things, okay? First, the truth in this passage is either going to change the way you think about sin and obedience, or it's going to remind you, it's going to refresh you on the truth about sin and obedience. And we're going to see this in four steps, just four steps. Each of these steps are connected. We're just going to walk through each one, one at a time. And before we get there, I just want to pray again and ask for God's help. So let's pray together. Father, again, we come in this moment and we confess that we are desperate for your Holy Spirit. We cannot live as as you have called us to live without your spirit. We can't even hear your words in this moment without your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would now send the helper to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So here's step one. To understand the 10th commandment, here's step one. The 10th commandment focuses on the heart. Listen again carefully to Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, the key word here is the word covet. But first, notice the objects in this sentence. House, wife, servants, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And that's the summary of what's intended here. These are things that are not yours. And we can think about these things in two categories. Spouses and houses. Okay? That's the categories in view here. Your neighbor's spouse is not your spouse. Your neighbor's house is not your house, and that includes the entire household. That's everything material and personal that has to do with your neighbor. If it is your neighbor's, it is not yours. And what's interesting here is that the objects mentioned here in the 10th commandment are things we've already heard about. We've already talked about your neighbor's spouse because the 7th commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. We've already talked about your neighbor's house or property because the Eighth Commandment says you shall not steal. So these two things are things we've already talked about. They're repeated here, but in the Tenth Commandment, we we see this new word covet. This covet word is introduced. And the word covet means to desire or to long for something in a way that's off. Other English words that we have for this concept are words like crave or lust, which it sounds dirty on purpose. We have a concept in the English language for desire that gets corrupted. Now, we know that desire itself is not bad. Desire is a gift. Like There are all kinds of good things that we should desire, starting with God. But there's also a kind of distorted desire. There is an unhealthy desire, especially for things that are not yours, like your neighbor's spouse or your neighbor's house. And so the 10th commandment is talking about these things that we've already seen, but now it's talking about them in a different way. It's not enough that you don't commit adultery. You can't want to commit adultery. It's not enough that you don't steal. You can't want to steal. The focus here 
is now turned from external actions to internal desire. The focus is now not what we do out here in the open, but it's about what we think over and long for from inside our hearts. This is why historically, interpreters of this passage have understood that the 10th commandment is a kind of summary commandment that's meant to deepen all the previous nine commandments. The the 10th commandment has been understood less as a new commandment and more like a clarification on the level of obedience that God requires in all his commandments. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism explains the 10th commandment. Now, one of the things we've been doing throughout this series is we've been referring back to the, these old Reformed catechisms, the, the Westminster Larger Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism is a little bit older. It was written way back in 1563. And like the Westminster, it includes very in-depth explanations uh, for each of the Ten Commandments. And uh, when it comes to the 10th commandment, the, the Westminster does the same thing. It gives the shortest explanation of them all. It's just one question and one answer. It's the shortest explanation of all. This is question 113 in the Heidelberg Catechism. The question is simply, what is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? The answer is, that not even the slightest fault or desire contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. And that's it. That is the explanation for the 10th commandment. That's the only thing the Heidelberg Catechism says because that's what the 10th commandment is about. The 10th commandment is a focus on your heart, which means that God demands our obedience even at the level of our slightest thought or desire. Okay, that's the first step here. Step number two. Real obedience cannot be faked. So we're going to establish a category. There are certain things in life that we can do externally that look good on the outside, but it's still not real obedience because we have sinful, internal, unseen desires. Okay? We understand that category, hypocrisy. Something on the outside, lacking on the inside. Here's an example, okay? And this is a little bit silly, all right? I just need you to work with me, okay? Say your neighbor has a coffee mug that you really like. And you admire this coffee mug. And when you hang out with your neighbor, you like to drink from this coffee mug. And that's good and great and that's fine. That's okay. But then over time, your admiration for this coffee mug means you start thinking about the coffee mug when you're not hanging out with your neighbor. And you start imagining yourself drinking from this coffee mug at your own house. And then you start to wonder, you start to ask the question, would would my neighbor really care if I snatch this mug the next time I'm over? What if I just took it for, for one drink? 
I don't even, you know, I don't even think my neighbor appreciates this coffee mug the way I would appreciate this coffee mug. I could really treat this coffee mug right. He, he probably would even miss it. He doesn't care about the coffee mug. I should take the coffee mug. What happens here is that you basically convince yourself that it should be your coffee mug, but the eighth commandment says not to steal, and therefore you decide not to take it. You do not steal the coffee mug. The question is, is that obedience? Absolutely not. It might look like obedience externally because you didn't actually steal the mug, but the 10th commandment condemns you because you lusted after the mug. You coveted the mug, and therefore, you must repent of that sinful desire. Just because you don't perform the external sin doesn't mean that you get a pass on the internal sinful desire. You have to deal with the sinful desire. You have broken the 10th commandment, which also means in this case, you've also broken the 8th commandment. That's what happens when we understand that the 10th commandment is a clarification on the level of obedience God requires in commandments one to nine. The 10th commandment is like a thread that runs through all the other commandments and it takes the demand for obedience to the deeper unseen level of desire, which is exactly what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount because of the problem with the Pharisees. See, in Jesus's day, the scribes and Pharisees, they were a sect of Judaism that really valued the law. And, and they understood, they knew how to behave in a way that looked like obedience. However, all it was was a shallow, superficial observance of the law. They were doing certain things out here that looked good, but Jesus comes and Jesus takes the issue to the heart. And Jesus means it when he says in Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's because their righteousness was not righteousness at all. That's his point. It might have looked like righteousness. It might have looked like obedience on the outside, but it was not real obedience because real obedience places a demand on our internal desires and you cannot fake internal desire. So you might honor mom and dad by saying all the right things with your mouth, but in here you have resentment and selfishness. You break the fifth commandment. You might not murder someone, but in here you stew with anger at someone. You break the sixth commandment. 
You might not commit adultery, but in here you lust after someone who is not your spouse. You break the seventh commandment. You might not steal, but in here you envy your neighbor's stuff and you want it so badly it makes you fussy. That's the way Pastor Joe explains coveting. You do that, you break the eighth commandment. You might not Speak a lie, but in here you wish your neighbor doesn't learn the truth. You break the ninth commandment. See, the tenth commandment shows us that God wants your heart. And if your heart's not in it, you are doubly guilty for breaking both the tenth commandment and then whatever the other commandment is, which ends up meaning that you become accountable for breaking all of the commandments. The law has that kind of unity. You actually cannot obey certain parts of the law, but then not others. If we break one commandment, it's like we're guilty for breaking all of them. And in most cases, in most cases, if we persist in covetousness, if we let ourselves go and we do not repent at the level of desire, it will eventually manifest itself in external action. So maybe, maybe you decide not to steal the coffee mug for now, but you don't repent of your sinful desire. You're going to eventually steal the coffee mug. It's just a matter of time. In fact, every, every external sin begins with sinful desire. Every sin that's done out here that we can see that we do with our hands, it starts with a desire in here. And you are guilty here. You're guilty at the level of desire. In James chapter one, this is the way that James, the apostle James describes the pathology of sin. This is what he says, James one, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So things don't just go wrong at the birth of external sin. Things went wrong when the sinful desire was conceived. James is saying internal sinful desire leads to external sinful behavior leads to death. And the whole thing is wrong. The whole thing is sin. You cannot fake real obedience. You can't. But we try, right? We try. All of us, we, we all have a little Pharisee in us. And I'm saying this as someone who tried to make it as a Pharisee. I tried to make it as a Pharisee. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian family. And I figured out early on the things that I needed to do externally to look like a good kid. You just you figure it out. You just figure it out. And when it comes to winning trust, when it comes to getting your parents off your back, it, it worked. I, I did not get into trouble when I was a kid. But inside, inside, there was lots of undealt with sin until God 
humbled me and disciplined me through a car wreck. That's a different story. But I want to just take a minute for all the kids in here, all the kids in here. I just want to say something to the, to, I'll say the older kids. I'm talking here, kids in here, like preteens, teens, or any of the kids who, who can track with what I'm saying here. This is for you. This is for you. We have great, we have a lot of great kids at our church. You're, 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 you're good kids. And we are, we're, we're glad you're good kids. We're, we're proud of you. But being a good kid is not good enough. You can act obedient. You can act obedient as a good kid, but God wants your heart. God cares about what you think. God cares about how you feel. And what's dangerous, and I'm saying this as someone who's, who's been there, what's dangerous is that we can start to justify the sin on the inside because we don't do that sin on the outside. We can trick ourselves into thinking that we're okay when we're not okay. And so I just want to exhort the kids in the room. I want to exhort you, all you kids who are growing up in this church, growing up in Christian families, don't fall for that. Don't trick yourself by shallow obedience. Know that God wants your heart. Okay? God wants your heart. And this is something for all of us now, this is something that, that John Calvin, the reformer, understood. In, in Calvin's commentary on the 10th commandment, Calvin says that the 10th commandment is necessary for us because without it, we would indeed trick ourselves into thinking that God is pleased only by external observance of the law. If not for the 10th commandment, we, we would believe that we can obey the law merely on the outside. And so Calvin says that the 10th commandment eliminates the possibility of faking real obedience and it dismantles self-righteousness. That's what the 10th commandment does. Okay. Now here's, here's step three. The hyper sinfulness of sin is revealed. Okay. When we understand that sin happens at the internal unseen level of desire, it, it should do for us what it did for the Apostle Paul. And Calvin knew what, what Paul knew when it comes to the, to, to the 10th commandment. Uh, in his commentary, Calvin, he goes straight from the, this is how Calvin understands the 10th commandment. He goes straight from the 10th commandment in Exodus 20 verse 17. He goes straight from there to what Paul says about the 10th commandment in Romans 7 verse 7. Now, the context of Romans 7 is Paul has been having this larger discussion about the law and sin. And in verse 7 of chapter 7, Romans 7, Paul directly quotes the 10th commandment. It's one of those few places in Paul's letters where I believe he's being autobiographical here. At, at the macro level, Paul, he says that the, the presence of the law is what convicted him of sin. Okay, he's, he's been carrying on with his life. He's unaware of his sin until he hears the law. And in particular, it was when he heard the 10th commandment. This is what Paul says in Romans 7, 7. Listen to this. He says, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. In other words, Paul is saying that the 10th commandment exposed in him all kinds of sinful desire. See, maybe Paul thought that he did a really good job at keeping the law. Paul, maybe he thought he did a great job at commandments one to nine because he was a Pharisee after all, right? So when it, when it comes down to like the external observance of the law, Paul thought he had that down. But then... He also had these internal desires that he did not know was a problem until he understood the 10th commandment. And the 10th commandment, because it focuses on the level of desire, it nailed him. And he he could not escape it. He knew, Paul knew, that his failure to obey the 10th commandment ruined his obedience in all the other commandments. And that's why I think Paul, in two different places, he says that covetousness is idolatry. There are two places he does this. Listen to Ephesians 5.5, okay? Paul says, Ephesians 5.5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Now listen to Colossians 3, 5. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, first of all, just notice that in both of these places, the Apostle Paul is giving a list of sins. And in both of these lists that he gives, what is the last sin that he mentions? Covetousness. Where do you think he learned that from? That's exactly what the Ten Commandments do. And and Paul here, what he says in both places, he says that covetousness is idolatry. Now, why does Paul say that? Well, there's probably more than one reason, but considering Romans 7, considering what Paul says in Romans 7, I think the reason Paul calls covetousness idolatry is because the sin of covetousness is what convicted Paul of his wholesale unfaithfulness to God. The commandment, you shall not covet, is what led Paul to see that he had also broken the first and second commandments. At the root of his internal sinful desires was that he had other gods before Yahweh, other gods, namely himself. See, through it was through the 10th commandment, through the 10th commandment, the hyper sinfulness of sin is revealed. That's what Paul says about the 10th commandment in Romans 7, 13. His sinful desires existed because he had placed, he had placed self-gratification at the center of his existence. And although he had an external superficial obedience at, at heart, 
He knew he worshiped the creature rather than the creator. The 10th commandment led Paul to see that a coveter, a coveter is also an idolater, and that was true of himself. Just like it's true of us. Just like it's true of us. And what kind of effect should this have on someone? Ring, ring, ring. This is the wake-up call. This is the wake-up call. And it's what brings us to the fourth step here on the 10th commandment. The first step is the the 10th commandment focuses on the heart. Step two, real obedience cannot be faked. Step three, the hyper sinfulness, sinful beyond measure is how Paul says it in Romans 7, 13. The hyper sinfulness of sin is revealed. And that means step four, we need to be rescued. We need rescue. Here's the deal. When we come to understand the hyper sinfulness of our sin and that we cannot obey enough on the outside because God wants our hearts, when we understand that, it will ruin you. It will ruin you in all the right ways. Because it means, it means you can never do enough. You can never be enough to save yourself. The 10th commandment burns your self-salvation project to the ground. The obedience that you thought, maybe, the obedience you thought you were storing up for yourself instantly instantly becomes a wasteland of guilt and shame. Have you been to that wasteland? Have you been there? Have you come to grips with the severity of your sin and the fertility of your efforts? Have you been there? Another way to say it, have you been to that place? Have you come to that place where you know you need to be rescued, not rehabbed, not improved, rescued? Do you know? Do you know that you need to be rescued? See, the main reason to see The main reason to understand the wasteland of our sin is that the the severity of our sin is only matched by the intensity of God's mercy. If you think lightly of sin as mere external actions, you must consider Jesus to be a puny savior. Like, do you think that Jesus died on the cross and bore the wrath of God against your sin just so you would behave? He wants your soul. Jesus came for your soul. 
Jesus demands the level of obedience for which he is worthy. He's worthy of it all. He is worthy of obedience at the deepest level. And so Jesus came to rescue the deepest parts of you because it is the deepest parts of you that need rescuing. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? You surrender. You give him the keys. Give him the keys. You you come to the end of yourself, which is the first work of grace, because the end of yourself, the end of yourself is where salvation finally begins. And look, it's a mess. Okay, I'm just telling you, it's a mess. It's a struggle. When you get the wake-up call of your own wasteland, it's like a crisis. You get thrown into a war zone of brokenness and you're trapped because you know you cannot save yourself from this wasteland. And so what ends up happening is in this wasteland, you say something like, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then you say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like there's no better way to conclude the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments than that. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the 10th commandments are a guide to life, but they do not save a life. They reveal to us God's will which then reveals to us our need for God's grace. And the message of the gospel is that God gives grace. And that grace is Jesus Christ. Jesus lived for you a perfect life. Jesus died to pay for all of your sins, internal and external. And Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day to set you free. And then Jesus ascended to heaven and he sent his spirit to create in you a new heart, empowered to follow him. Jesus has saved you, is saving you, and will save you if you trust him, if you believe and that's the way the sermon ends, okay? That's the way the series on the Ten Commandments draws to a close. The call right now is for you to trust in Jesus Christ. This is an invitation for you in this moment to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be forgiven. Be set free. Be made new and come be baptized on March 22nd, just a few weeks. In this moment now, we come to this table, and as we come to the table each week with the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and the cup representing the shed blood of Jesus, we come here to remember the death of Jesus and to give him thanks for his salvation. And basically, at this table each week, what we're doing at this table is we're just repeating what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7.25. It's simple. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That, that's simple. He just, thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the anthem of the Lord's table. And this morning, if you trust in Jesus, if you would sing that, if you would give Jesus thanks this morning, we invite you to come now and eat and drink with us. We're going to serve the bread first. Um, Just hold it. I'll come back up. We'll eat it together. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.